The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A gorgeous young mom, Stephanie Eldridge, seemingly vanishes into thin air. Where is Stephanie? What happened? What a horrible question to be asking. What if you come home from work one day or or like me and suddenly David's just gone and there's no trace and I see his cell phone and his car keys sitting there. So where is he? What do you do when that happens? Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. The 21-year-old disappeared from her Idaho Falls apartment. She was just a beautiful, beautiful young lady. The mother of four vanished on a warm August night. Her baby left behind in the apartment along with Stephanie's phone, car keys, purse, and shoes. There was uh, several items that was left behind that indicated uh, that uh, there was foul play involved. Well, I guess so. Guys, you're hearing our good friend Nate Eden at EastIdahoNews.com. Yeah, none of that makes sense. Who would leave the baby at home unattended with the cell phone, the car keys, the purse, and the shoes all still there? Of course, most women have more than one pair of shoes. That doesn't tell me anything, but the baby speaks volumes with me, an all-star panel to try to apply logic to an illogical situation in the search for 21-year-old Stephanie Eldridge, beautiful on the outside and the inside. Kathleen Murphy, veteran trial lawyer, joining me out of North Carolina. You can find her at ncdomesticlaw.com. That's a mystery to me. Why do they call husbands and wives fighting like two wet cats in a barrel domestic That's for you, Kathleen, not for me. I prefer something with yellow crime scene tape around it. Dr. Bethany Marshall, renowned psychoanalyst, joining us from L.A. She's at drbethanymarshall.com, and she's a star in a new Netflix hit, Bling Empire. Greg Smith, you know his name well, Special Deputy Sheriff, Johnson County Sheriff's Office, Executive Director of the Kelsey Smith 
Foundation. You can find that at Kelsey'sArmy.com. I've learned a lot there, Greg Smith. Professor of Forensics, Jacksonville State University, author of Blood Beneath My Feet on Amazon, star of a new hit series on the True Crime Network, Poisonous Liaisons, Death Investigator. Joining me, Joseph Scott Morgan. But first, straight out to our friend Eric Grossarth, joining us from EastIdahoNews.com. You can find him on Insta and Twitter at Eric Grossarth. Eric, let's just start at the beginning. Tell me about Idaho Falls. Idaho Falls is just a nice, calm, quiet community. Lots of families, kids running around in the streets. It's, it's not a place that bad things happen. I mean, people around here leave their doors unlocked, quite frankly. Wow. It kind of sounds like where I grew up, Eric Grossart. The population in Idaho Falls is a little over 61,000 by the last census. And, you know, Dr. Bethany Marshall and Joe Scott Morgan, you've heard me talk ad nauseum about our family's last RV trip where we retraced the Lewis and Clark Trail. Yes, we did. This is part of that. So that's how I know a little bit about Idaho Falls. In fact, they have a museum there that's almost completely dedicated to Lewis and Clark. And if you remember, the significance of this is Lewis and Clark went through the wilderness to get from A to B, and they went through Idaho Falls. It's absolutely stunning country, but it is country. What does that mean to me, Dr. Bethany Marshall? As we're talking about the disappearance of a young woman, it means low crime rate. You're going to have a lot higher crime rate and possibility of kidnap, rape, disappearance. Uh, If you're in a concentrated area like New York, New Jersey, Atlanta, Philly, but in, in Idaho Falls, not a lot of people just vanish into thin air, Bethany. Nancy, do you know what else it means? It means families who stay together. Not to cast dispersions on big cities, but this is not a place where a woman has an, an internet affair or, you know, meets somebody. I don't on know what you're talking about start- because women get online in, lo- in small communities and meet these horrible people. I mean, what, yes. I, what, what are you saying? That you can't fall in love well, online if you live in a saying. small town? That's just absolutely not true. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying, Nancy, is that... Get it together, Bethany. I'm going to get it together. Okay, logic, logic. What I'm trying to say is, in small towns, these communities are so close-knit that families tend to be held together by the community. You have your pastor, you have your school teachers, you have your mother-in-law or your sister living down the block, and, and even if there's some form of acting out, sure, it can happen in a small town just like it can in a big city. The values, I think, hold people together, and because of that, it's less likely, I believe, I'd have to look at the research, that a woman is just going to meet somebody else and abandoned her family. Now, you know what? I'm I'm surprised you fed into that, Dr. Bethany Marshall, because Greg Smith, you know, I never get to disagree with Bethany because she's always right. But Greg, did you hear what she just said? It's less likely a woman's going to meet someone and run away with them in a small city. But you know what drives me crazy? Every time a woman goes missing, that's the first assumption. She ran off with her new boyfriend. You know what? My grandmother on my father's side, used to say, men are like buses. A new one comes along every 15 minutes. No offense, men. Sorry, Joe Scott. Sorry, Greg. Sorry, Eric Grossarth. But I find it really difficult to believe. I mean, 
look, consider the source. I remember when Drew Peterson said that about his fourth wife, Stacy. Oh, she went off with her boyfriend. She's dead. Her body has never been found. We hear it over and over. Why is that, Greg? When a woman goes missing, everyone assumes they ran off with a boyfriend. Do they need sex that badly? They have to run away and get it? I mean, I don't think so. You can just run down to the local motel for what? An hour and be done with it, right? So why do you have to leave your baby behind? Why is that always the first assumption, Greg Smith? Well, I think I think we're safe to say that if leaving a baby behind is that's probably not what happened. Um, that just that doesn't make sense, particularly from what I was able to find out um, about her. She has more than one child, so um, obviously she's uh, a mother that has a family, and I don't think that she'd just take off and leave them all behind. Uh, and that's, that's in missing person cases, has that happened? Yes. Does it happen a lot? No, it really doesn't. I can't um, really think of that many TV. cases, Greg Smith. Special Deputy Sheriff, Johnson County Sheriffs. You can find him, Kelsey'sArmy.com. Greg, I can't think of uh, really any cases just off the top of my head now that we're getting into this topic where a mom just left her children to run away with a boyfriend. You're absolutely right. And uh, Dr. Bethany Marshall, the baby is the fly in that ointment. She would never just leave the baby unattended. So there goes that theory. Nancy, there's yes. a baby. There's other children. But, you know, when women abandon their children, do you know what we see? No. We see baby photos in the dumpster next to the house. We see the woman um, giving away baby things. Remember all the crimes we've covered where there's infanticide? Not to compare this with infanticide because this would be abandoning the children, not killing them. But there's already a dissociation from the children in advance of leaving them, killing them, moving away with somebody else. There's no indication that this mother was not bonded with her baby. If so, other people would be coming out and saying, well, she didn't feed the baby or, you know, she went to the pediatrician and, you know, the pediatrician, you know, uh, recommended some kind of a a class or course or, or parenting training or something like that. There is nothing like this. This is a mother who loved her baby and was not planning to separate from the baby. That's what makes this case so suspicious. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. 
because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zin pouch in is you. Zin is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience, which means Zin pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To you, Kathleen Murphy, North Carolina trial lawyer. You can find her at ncdomesticlaw.com. She's just straight off a huge win in court. You know, you got to have some backbone to go in court and fight like a gladiator, Kathleen Murphy. Um, congratulations you. on I'm your win. I'm very proud of my win. Yeah, I'm proud for you. But Kathleen, I just want to um, point out that what we're doing right now, yes, some people, Jackie, may think we're off topic, but this is exactly how cases are discussed at the DA's office, at the uh, homicide investigator's office, at the missing person's office. You talk, and it's free flow, and you think of all the variants, and then somehow you narrow it down to a theory. Would you agree or disagree? I would absolutely agree. We've been doing this long enough. We get to know the human nature of the type of People that come through the system. I mean, frankly, it is uh, down to human nature. And you have to explore every single detail. You know, we started off with Eric Grossarth with EastIdahoNews.com talking about where is Idaho Falls. And somehow we got into a one-hour stay at a motel in Lewis and Clark and I don't know what else. And I take full responsibility for that. But as a trial lawyer, I'm taking the fifth. Eric Grossarth, let's just start all over. Let's start with the day that she goes missing that we know of. Okay. What happened that day? Okay, so Stephanie Eldridge lived in an apartment with her boyfriend, her boyfriend's mother, and her boyfriend's half-brother, Kenneth Jones. Now, hold on, Jackie. Is it true they were planning a wedding? So, yes. So that's her fiancé, and she lived with her fiancé's family. So they were all very, very close. So you've got the mom I know of, you've got the fiancé, and you've got the brother. Was there anybody else living there beside her baby? From, from what we have in court documents, that's who lived at the house okay so what happened that day so what happened that day is eldridge disappeared she left her keys her purse her shoes and the baby that we talked about i hear what you're saying eric grossar so she lived there in the apartment um but the day she went missing we've got to take a look at who is stephanie eldridge take a listen to our friends at crimeonline.com Stephanie Eldridge had plans. This mother of three wanted her two oldest daughters, who were living with other family members, to join her. Family members say her children were her pride and joy. The 21-year-old was living with her boyfriend, Michael Jimenez, the father of her third child, another girl. Jimenez's mother and his half-brother also lived in the home. Eldridge's plan for the future also included continuing her education. She was slated to attend Eastern Idaho Technical College in the fall to begin studying to become a dental hygienist. That was because it would allow her to make a nice income to support her family. Her ultimate goal, according to family, was to open her own dance studio. Hmm. All those plans seemingly go up in smoke when she goes missing. What happened to that day? Take a listen again to our friends at Crime Online. The young mother vanished from her Idaho Falls apartment on a Monday late in August. 
Jimenez said the last time he saw his fiance was around 6 a.m. when he left for work. She called him around 9 a.m. to say she was not feeling well. When Jimenez tried to call her back, she didn't answer. Her boyfriend's mother, Lynette Thiessen, came home around 12.30 that afternoon. What she found was disturbing. The four-month-old baby girl was home alone. Eldridge's cell phone, car keys, purse, and even her shoes were still there. Investigators believed foul play was involved but couldn't prove it. So let me understand the timeline to Eric Grossarth joining us, EastIdahoNews.com. Eric, the fiancé leaves for work. She, Stephanie, still there with the baby. She talks to him at 9 a.m., we think, I guess by cell phone. Then at 12.30 at lunchtime, the future mother-in-law comes home and finds the baby unattended and Stephanie gone. Do I have the timeline correct? Yeah, that is what happened. She, the, she was home with this baby, and sometime that morning when the family left the home, she vanished. Stephanie vanished from the home. They find the baby there, and it wasn't one of these mothers like we've talked about that would just leave her child here in the house. She was wanting to care for her children. I mean, that was her pride and joy was her daughters. And so it was just mysterious to them. And investigators quickly believed that foul play was involved, but they weren't able to prove anything. Let me ask you about Michael Jimenez. He's also the father of the baby girl. Now, how old was the baby girl, Eric Grossarth? She was, she was very, very, very young. I believe she uh, was around four months. Time. So given that, uh, to you, Kathleen Murphy, a four-month-old baby left at home, so we know for at least three and a half hours, because the fiancé spoke to her at 9, the future mother-in-law gets home at 12.30. So in those three mm-hmm. and a half hours, Stephanie Eldridge seemingly vanishes into thin air. You can tell, Kathleen, when a baby has been unattended. Explain. You can tell when a baby's been unattended for a minute at that age. They are so needing the holding of the parent, the feeding, the burping, the cuddling. It's just such a obvious situation that this woman has disappeared. I mean, when these police officers or whoever came into the apartment to find this woman missing probably were able to immediately tell that this child had been abandoned. Well, I'm sure the mother-in-law realized because the baby hadn't been changed or taken care of. So let me understand something. Eric Grossarth, according to reports, the boyfriend, Michael Jimenez, says he hears from her at 9 o'clock by cell, but when everyone gets home, her cell phone is right there, correct? Correct. The cell phone was in the apartment along with her purse, keys, and the baby. So The boyfriend, her- oh, I'm sorry, they- the boyfriend, uh, Michael Jimenez, um, Eric Grossarth, do we know where he worked? I mean, did he punch a clock? Can we make sure he was where he said he was? Investigators said that the boyfriend and the mother were both cooperative, uh, forthcoming, and they were able to determine that they were being truthful when they spoke with investigators that morning when she disappeared. To you, Greg Smith, Special Deputy Sheriff Johnson County Sheriff's Office in Kansas, when the cops come out at the get-go and say, boyfriend, fiancé, husband, whoever the boy, the man is in the life, is being cooperative, 
that is a big sign to me. Normally, they won't say anything like that if that male in the family is under suspicion. Well, it is kind of telling that uh, he was willing to cooperate. Um, I know uh, a lot of families, when they find themselves in an unfortunate situation like this, one of the things that they are kind of upset about is the way that they're treated by police because a lot of times it is a family member or somebody that's close to the person that committed the offense. But I've heard a lot of, of families complain to me and say, you know, why do they do that? Why are they, why do they come down on us? And I explain that the dynamics are usually such that it is somebody that the person knows and that the best thing you can do is cooperate with the investigation so that they can clear you and move on and find the person who really did it. So that's pretty telling that he was willing to do that. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience, which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, Greg Smith is not just a special deputy sheriff at Johnson County and executive director of Kelsey Smith Foundation. He is a crime victim. His daughter, Kelsey was kidnapped and murdered. And that propelled him to his life's work of helping other people. You know, Greg, I've spoken to our friend Mark Class many, many times about when his daughter, the found, you know, Mark is the founder of Class Kids Foundation, when his daughter Polly went missing at a sleepover in her own home. Uh, Mark was divorced from the mom and lived nearby, the first thing cops did was race to Mark Class's home, search it. Uh, they wanted DNA. They wanted fingerprints. They wanted everything from him. And you know what he did? He said, fine, search my car, search my office, search my, my home, take my blood, take my DNA, take my fingerprints, anything. Just find my daughter. He understood what you just said statistically, the person you're looking at is within the family and is a male. So 
by cooperating, you advance the police search for whoever took Stephanie Eldridge. Did that happen when Kelsey went missing? Did cops want to know, hey, where were you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had um, we had found her car and called the police. Um, they came out and... Oh, started... I bet they were on you like a cheap suit if you found her car. Yeah. Actually, they, they were good. I mean, I was a police officer. I knew a lot of the officers that were on the scene, so there wasn't a lot of that. But eventually, we were asked to come into the station, my wife and I, and put in an interview room and left alone for 15 or 20 minutes. And I looked at my wife because I knew they were watching us. And I said, you know why we're in here, don't you? They think we're suspects. So as soon as they come back, we'll tell them everything that happened and get this over with so they can find the right person. And no more than probably 30 seconds after I said that, the detective walked in. We had our conversation that we needed to have, and they were out the door looking for who really killed Kelsey. So Eric Grossarth, EastsideHoNews.com, that tells me a lot, that they came out right at the get-go and state that the fiancé is actually cooperating, a young mom vanishing from her apartment on a Monday late in August. She calls the fiancé around 9 o'clock. He saw her at 6 a.m. when he left for work, and she wasn't feeling well. But when he tried to call her back, she didn't answer The boyfriend's mom, Lynette Thiessen, came home, and what she found was very upsetting. The four-month-old baby was unattended. Eldridge's cell phone, car keys, purse, and even her shoes were still there. Straight out to Dr. Bethany Marshall, psychoanalyst, joining us from L.A. Then I'm going to follow up with our forensics expert, Joseph Scott Morgan. You know, at first when I thought, saw that her shoes were still there. I went, well, you know, women have a lot of shoes. That means nothing. That's not true. Because the other day, uh, my son went into our pantry, saw our kitchen, and that's where I keep my favorite tennis shoes and my cowboy boots, which I wear both of them all the time. He goes, Mom, your cowboy boots have been in here for like four days straight. What was, why aren't you wearing them? And This is a 13-year-old boy who knows nothing about design Mm -hmm. or shoes. And I said, I hurt my ankle, sweetheart. That's why I'm wearing my my tennis shoes every day. So it does matter if you have a favorite pair of shoes. People notice. And there, I assume, by her purse, her cell phone, and her keys were her shoes. So it does matter. It's, It's very individual to the person. It's very individual, Nancy. These kinds of... Uh, behavioral physical cues are vital. The first time I ever met you at CNN, you were wearing your cowboy boots. The second time, you were wearing your cowboy boots. The third time, you were wearing your cowboy boots. I'm assuming, I'm hearing today that you still have those cowboy boots or a new pair, but think about it. It's the same pair. Once you break them in, it's like a baseball (laughs) glove. You know, once you break it in, you're you're together for life. That's right. I love those cowboy boots. Anyway, you know, this is a small apartment. We're not talking a mansion. We're not talking Imelda Marcos here. We're not talking, you know, a family who lives in the flats of Beverly Hills, you know, with a shoe closet the size of a small bedroom. We're talking a 21-year-old with a four-month-old, likely struggling financially, as we all did when we were 21 years old, trying to work her way through school. 
a young woman like that will only have a few pairs of shoes and anything amiss in that apartment is going to be noticed especially the child i was thinking about this four-month-old baby being left for three and a half hours nancy babies you know as one of the other guests were saying they need to be picked up hugged swaddled this baby was probably very dysregulated at this point screaming crying soiling the diapers i'm sure when the mother future mother-in-law walked in and saw this scene that her heart dropped like she knew something was amiss this was a vast departure from how this young woman lived her life you know joe scott morgan we're talking about the shoes and the cell phone and the keys i i think i've told you i was um investigating a serial killer and in the end i managed to get him on one murder and it was of a jane doe and there was a vital piece of evidence it was one earring and i thought and i thought and had help thinking about the location of the earring, how the earring got there. What did that mean in the way that the crime unfolded? One clue like that may mean nothing to somebody else, but it could mean volumes if it's analyzed correctly. If you were in that apartment, Joe Scott, and you had reason to believe this was the last place that she was known to be safe, what would you be looking for? Well, you know, I teach my students, Nancy, as crime scene investigators, one thing you look for is not just uh, evidence of uh, of a struggle. You look for absence of a struggle as well. So uh, just because things are, are negative or positive in crime scene investigation does not make it a bad thing because you can eliminate certain things. I think a, a big question is here, how how is... A, a young lady of this age lured out of an apartment with a four-month-old in the apartment. How do you get her out of the door and there's no signs of forced entry or struggle? So that tells me that someone had to have access to her because, you know, what we're hearing now relative to what the police found, quote-unquote, found when they got there, they're not saying they found broken furniture or busted out glass or, you know, somebody kicked the door in or anything like that. What they're saying is uh, we have the presence of shoes, we have the presence of keys, we have presence of wallet, uh, and we have the presence of a baby, but we don't have the person that's missing. So I've got a four-month-old granddaughter, all right? I get to watch her regularly, which is one of the greatest gifts I've ever had. I got to tell you, and this goes for my wife as well, if somebody tried to separate me from that baby, okay, it would take very large, strong men, a huge battalion of them to put any kind of distance between me and that child. So as an investigator, I'm thinking the individual or the rationale for her leaving the apartment must have been something that felt at least remotely comfortable or safe for her because you don't have any evidence of struggle here. But what we do have is an abandoned girl. You know, I find it significant, Eric Grossarth, EastIdahoNews.com, that it was Jimenez that called police and reported her missing. I mean, think back on it. When Scott Peterson realized Lacey was missing, he didn't call police. He called her parents. Very often, we see the perp who's ultimately held responsible. They're not the ones that call police. 
In this case, isn't it true that fiance Michael Jimenez called police to report her missing? Yeah, he called police. He's like, hey, she's gone. I don't know where she is. Can you help me find her? So it, it's very telling mm-hmm. beginning. He was, again, cooperative, forthcoming, that she disappeared. He right. went to were able to cooperate all that. Because, so, I mean, I mean typically speaking, very of what happened. the pert would want to put as much time as possible between the murder or the kidnap and police finding out about it because delay, delay, delay is a defendant's best Best friend. So the search was on until, take a listen to what Anthony Congi at KIDK Channel 3 has to say. On April 23rd, a repairman working on windmills stumbled across the remains and reported it to authorities. Ever since then, police had a good idea of who the remains were. There was evidence at the scene and uh, information that we'd gained throughout the uh, investigation that led us to believe that the remains were those of Stephanie. And uh, so we've already been working on it as if they were Stephanie. The Idaho Falls Police Department received confirmation through a positive dental ID made by a forensic odontologist. And take a listen to our friends at Crime Online. Stephanie Eldridge's badly decomposed remains were found in a shallow grave in the foothills east of Idaho Falls. The body was wrapped in a blanket and her wrists were bound by electrical tape. Eldridge's grandfather told the East Idaho News that the remains were so decomposed that forensic evidence wasn't able to determine the cause of death or even a suspect. In fact, the body had to be identified by dental records. Then, Idaho Falls Police Detective Jessica Marley was assigned. She began working the case full-time. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To Eric Grossarth, EastIdahoNews.com. Where was her body found in relation to the apartment? She's wrapped in a blanket. 
And I would want to find out where the blanket came from. Did it come from the apartment? And her wrists were bound. She was in windmill areas. Uh, a windmill worker is the one who discovered her and reported the body found. Where was she found in relation to the apartment, Eric? So this is an area, I'd say, 15, 20 minutes east of Idaho Falls. This is where it gets rural. There's not many houses out there. There's the windmills out there and windmill workers go out there regularly. People are out there hunting. It's, it's an area that people don't go very often. It's not populated. It's dark in the morning at night. So it is essentially the middle of nowhere as close as you can get to town. And her wrists were bound with duct tape? The, uh, electrical tape, that, that is correct. Uh, wrists were bound uh, as well as uh, her face. Let me follow up on that. Joseph Scott Morgan, Professor of Forensics. Her face and head and her wrists were bound with electrical tape. She was so decomposed, she had to be identified through her dental records. What does that tell you? Well, when I hear hands, feet, face that are bound with this electrical tape, uh, it gives me an indication that restraint is involved. This is not like a packaging event. Like uh, I've worked a lot of cases where people will take tape and wrap bodies up, say, for instance, in a blanket. But if what they're saying is accurate, that means that she may have been bound and gagged. So that tells me that at that moment in time, uh, when this occurred, she was probably alive. They wanted to be able to muffle any kind of screams or sounds that are coming out of her mouth. But Nancy, this is the beauty part about tape from an investigative standpoint. There's something that are referred to as plastic prints. And when you have uh, a, a medium like, uh, like tape, if everybody at home, all of our listeners will just take a piece of tape at some point in time and on the adherent side, I'm not the side where the adhesive is, you I'm not talking sticky. about the smooth, the sticky side, place your thumb on there. Okay, place your thumb on there and you can actually have a latent print that is what we refer to as a plastic print. It's different than having to dust for it necessarily. And you can leave that print. Nancy, I've seen cases with plastic prints in particular, and you can get them in oil and grease and that sort of thing, where a print will survive literally for years and years in that. So that's a that's a juicy piece of evidence. And if they're using as much tape uh, as Eric has alluded to, that means that it exponentially increases the opportunity that you can potentially recover a print off this. And also, what's the nature of the tape? Who manufactured it? How's it been cut? What was it cut with? And what's the width? Because there's different sizes of electrical tape, okay? And there's different qualities. So all of that is key information. To you, Dr. Bethany Marshall, psychoanalyst joining us out of Beverly Hills. Dr. Bethany, what does it tell you when a victim's face has been bound? When you duct tape a person's face, you are cold-blooded. You have no remorse. You do not care for the victim. You're, you're literally defacing them. You know, Nancy, we talk so many times about the fact that even in death, often a victim will have a blanket placed over them or or their head put on a pillow. Yes, or like in Tottenham where Kelly was wrapped in a blanket, similar to this as well. What does that mean to you? Well, to me, there's, there's at least some act of kindness 
towards the victim at the end, very end. I don't know about kindness when you just duct tape somebody's mouth and nose and face and eyes. I don't know about kindness, but it tells me this. As somebody that's been in that home, that's what it tells me. That's right. Then the investigation hit a dead end. Take a listen to our friend Nate Eaton at East Idaho News. Stephanie's family thinks about her constantly, and now they're hoping this new Idaho cold case's deck of playing cards will lead to a break in the case. The cards are being distributed among prisoners and jail inmates throughout Idaho with the idea that these photos may get someone to talk. The hope is to elicit new tips from the inmate population because as we know, inmates like to talk about each other's crimes, sometimes brag about each other's crimes, pass the day playing cards. Cold case card decks have been used in prison systems in other states, and law enforcement say they can be an effective tool in solving crimes. There's a lot of chatter that, that comes from the prison system. And um, if, if anybody would know, It'd probably be the inmate. Stephanie's family says if the cards help close any case, it's worth it. And they look forward to the day when whoever killed their precious girl is found. Cold case playing cards, like a deck of cards. But let me understand, Eric Grossarth, East Idaho News. So their cards with, for instance, a picture of the victim on one side and like the name, I guess, um, they're like, milk carton photos except they're on playing cards and they somehow get distributed behind bars and the hope that the inmates will start discussing the cases yes no yeah that is exactly what it is around here a lot of the cold cases have been put on the playing cards and they get distributed to the prisons and thankfully uh since those were put out in 2016 several of these cases uh, have been solved not all of them from from tips in the jails and prisons but but yes they do have the picture on there a little detail about the name where they disappeared and how long they've been searching very very ingenious so the claim decks are disseminated into jails and prisons with the hope that someone will say something somebody will start bragging and Boy, were they right. Take a listen to our friends at CrimeOnline.com. Police had a suspect in mind from the day Stephanie Eldridge disappeared. Her boyfriend's stepbrother, Kenneth Jones. During the initial investigation, the boyfriend, Jimenez, and his mother cooperated with authorities. Their stories stayed consistent. But Jones's story changed more than once. Two years after the mom of three disappeared, Jones was arrested for an unrelated crime. And while in jail, Jones reportedly told his cellmate that he had violently killed Eldridge. Jones said that he and Eldridge had been in a fight and he pushed her and Eldridge hit her head. Jones said he panicked and hid the body. But the case still went cold as investigators did not believe the jailhouse confession was enough to charge him with murder. And that is so true. Kathleen Murphy, North Carolina family lawyer at ncdomesticlaw.com. It is not only in our, interpreted through our Constitution, through case law, but crime 101 in law school, you cannot, under our law, convict someone with a confession alone. There's got to be substantial corroborating evidence, yes? Yes. Guys, what do we know about this brother-in-law-to-be? Who is this guy? Take a listen to our friends at CrimeOnline.com. 
Kenneth Jones had a long criminal history beginning with the DUI arrest. From there, misdemeanor drug and resisting arrest charges were brought against him. Then he was charged with a felony, third degree arson. Court records show police responding to a report of harassment. At the same time and same location, a call came in about a suicidal man threatening to burn down his mother's home. Police believe he was the same man who was sending the harassing text messages. The person who reported the harassment told police she was in fear for her safety and her child. The victim said Jones had been living with her and her fiance, but Jones and the man got into an argument and a fight broke out, and Jones threatened to burn down the house. The victim said she and her daughter left for a while, but when she returned, Jones told her he had started a fire. She had better call the fire department. Inside, the woman found a pile of clothes burning. So, Eric Grossarth, uh, let me understand. What we know now is that the brother-in-law-to-be gave multiple stories about what happened to Stephanie Eldridge after his brother left the apartment that morning. He told one person that he pushed her in the middle of an argument. She, quote, hit her head, and instead of calling 911, he bound and gagged her with duct tape and hit her body that he choked her dead, that's story number two, and bound and gagged her with duct tape and hit her body. And he told people that she was his girlfriend. Is Are all of those stories, did they all come out of his mouth? You know, there's even more stories that came out of his mouth that day as well. Uh, he actually told investigators that he used Eldridge's phone, went to work, came back for a little bit, uh, watched the child while Eldridge left, then she came back and he went back to work all of this before noon. So he said he was going back and forth uh, that morning. Uh, one time he said he went and bought some weed off of a friend. Um, and that friend said he never uh, saw Jones that day. And then his bosses said he never showed up to work. So there was all sorts of stories floating around out of Jones's mouth of what happened that day. And so, so it made investigators very, very suspicious early on of him because he couldn't give a straight story. You know, to you, Dr. Bethany Marshall, why do suspects even talk and then give conflicting stories? Is it they just can't keep their story straight? Nancy, I think there's something about that uh, criminal mindset, that particular type of psychopathology, which is a fancy word for psychological disturbance, that causes an interference in what we call big picture thinking, cause and effect. It comes from the prefrontal cortex, the, the part of the brain just behind the, the forehead. It's the part of you that learns from mistakes, is able to plan ahead. It, it, it teaches you how to read the room and see what other people see in yourself, what other people see in you. This, this guy didn't have any of that. He was in his own little world thinking that everybody would believe whatever he said. And you know the thing about going to get weed? I, you know, weed That was probably the you, only part of that story that was true. <laughs> except cannabis makes you passive. So it's, it's unlikely that somebody using cannabis is going to kill somebody. Maybe Why do you call it cannabis? Why don't you just say pot? <laughs> You know, I, because I have addicts in my practice, and I think that it's better to use the technical term. Uh, so go ahead, put perfume to, on the pig. And I, 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 I don't know everything that you're just saying, but I do know this. When someone starts changing their story around the time someone mm -hmm. goes missing and their body's found in a windmill field, that's suspect number one. Well, right. I know you're not going to be surprised to hear this. Our Cut 10. Take a listen. 
Uh, with the amended information then, you do have, as we just talked about, count one, voluntary manslaughter, count two, destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence, count three, resisting or obstructing an officer, you will have a right to have these charges read to you. Is that something you would be interested in? Uh, no, sir. Eric Grossarth, this guy, after all those years watching the family twist and turn, suffer, the children grow up without a mom, uh, not knowing really what happened to her, he finally pleads guilty. What's his sentence? Yeah, so he pled guilty uh, and just recently got sentenced 10 to 21 years in prison when he do all the math uh, on those charges. So he, he gets at least a decade uh, in prison uh, when pleading guilty to that uh, voluntary manslaughter charge, as well as the alteration of evidence and then the uh, obstruction charge. Uh, and this, this happened 13 uh, years after Stephanie. That little baby girl, the other children are all grown up without mommy now. And finally, he comes clean, as clean as he can. 21 years for him, but life without a parole, with the death of their mother for her three children. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy.